0: Welcome to the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. Have you ever wanted a do-over, wished you could try something again to get it right a second time? Maybe a job interview, a particular offensive play in a game, a school assignment, a tough conversation, a marriage even. We do it differently the next time around, at least we'd intend to do so. Aaron and I have been teaching part-time for a private online school for about two years now, an interesting dynamic where we don't meet with our students face-to-face. In fact, we do very little live teaching. The curriculum and lessons have all the info they need. They read the material in the modules, view examples, click on links and resources related to the concepts, ask for help via email or during live virtual office hours, and then they do their assignments and turn them in. Most of our role as teachers is found in providing support, communicating with students and parents, and grading. One key theme that makes it work is that as a mastery-based school, teachers can grant retries. At first, I wasn't sure how I felt about giving students a do-over, especially because in the traditional live brick-and-mortar classroom, the student has you as the teacher at their disposal before turning in the work or taking the test. Without the opportunity to work directly with the online students daily, and and for example, not being able to walk around the classroom and look over a student's shoulder as they're working on an assignment and say, hey, you're on the right track, but take a look at problem number two again. Remember what I just explained on the board? Without that available with our online students, the retry becomes a helpful tool on both ends to, give, to make sure that the students get all the instructions and complete all the steps and, with feedback, can improve their assignments to achieve mastery of the concepts that they're seeking to learn. So while I was a bit of a skeptic at first of the retry when I started two years ago, I see that I can often get more out of a student with some coaching for a retry than just slapping an F on their assignment and moving on with the semester. Now Jesus is a good and wise teacher, instructing mankind in the truths of the kingdom we see in the gospel of Mark. That he's been covering, that we've been covering on this podcast that the curriculum he is teaching seems to be tough for many who are hearing. The multitudes, the Pharisees, even the disciples, they aren't always getting it. Add some remedial lessons, some summer school even maybe in order at this point. As we turn a corner in the Gospel, Jesus sees the end on the horizon, the end of his earthly ministry, punctuated with the exclamation point of his death on the cross, his burial in a borrowed tomb, his resurrection back to life, and his ascension into heaven. The completion of his earthly ministry and his first coming as prophesied, appointed, and planned. And in this home stretch, his disciples are a key focus as Jesus readies and prepares them to carry the torch of the gospel on once his earthly ministry comes to a close. So we saw the missions trip as they were sent out two by two, empowered to do the work and bring the message, the crowds responding and hearing, they in the driver's seat for a lap or two. And we look at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples participating from a key vantage point, as their self-sufficient tendencies were exposed. Jesus pleased to reiterate that God uses those who are fully reliant on him, so God might get the glory, and we can praise Him for who we discover Him to be. As we move forward in chapter 6 of the book of Mark, we come to a retry, a second storm in a boat for the disciples of Jesus, and a second miraculous rescue in the midst of the trial. Many of the circumstances are the same, and the group of disciples is the same, but there are reasons the Lord has sent them back to this trial for a retry as it becomes apparent that they still didn't grasp some things the first time, and another go around might be just what they need, as it might be for you and I in life as well. Let's take a look at Mark 6 beginning in verse 45. As we pick up here in mark 6 the disciples must be exhausted they had already just come back from that missions trip they were supposed to go on a retreat with jesus the crowds came and followed them jesus had taught all day then they had served the crowd it was a crazy time and and remember in the midst of it their resources had lacked holy and then there was this miracle five loaves and two fish fed over five thousand people and the disciples were right in the middle of it serving up the food as it just kept multiplying no one sure how then picking up baskets full of leftovers, 12 in fact, perhaps one for each disciple. So they're tired, exhausted, and a little bewildered at the same time, what has just gone on? And now Jesus calls it. He knows that they need to step away. And as the last baskets of leftovers are brought in for inventory, we read Mark 6, verses 45 and 46. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, He departed to the mountain to pray. Jesus puts the disciples in an uber, a boat for them, and pushes them off toward Bethsaida, while he figures out a way to disperse the crowd. And then he heads up the mountain to plug in to the Father. I can just imagine there in the boat amongst the disciples, the debriefing that was going on about what they had seen. Man, I thought for sure we were going to run out. I know, right? So what did happen back there? Where did all that come from? I don't know each time i came back jesus just gave me more me too i thought we'd run out for sure i know crazy i heard him praying and giving thanks and the bread just kept coming i really thought we'd run out but everyone was so full and we still had to clean up talk about doggy bags i mean what was this conversation like going over the scenarios time and time again each from another disciple's perspective everyone getting a chance to share their version of the story much as a group of friends would debrief after an epic game on the field or colleagues upon closing an oh-so-impressive deal. These guys were talking, I'm sure. Tired, exhausted, but a second wind, maybe having seen what they saw and trying to figure it out. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat to go to the other side, it says. We can't always be going and going. We weren't created for that. From the beginning, six days on, one day off. God never slumbers nor sleeps, but finite man requires a break. So Jesus nudges the disciples off away from the energy of the crowd. He sends the crowds home to make time to process what they had learned. Too much input can lead to overload. So time to synthesize spiritual truths is needed. Even himself making room to head up a mountain to pray, connect with his heavenly father. All these people, the disciples, the crowds, Jesus himself, They've all set reset at this point to go away to reflect. Jesus has been on quite a bit, and he needed to connect in an intimate way with minimal distractions and output, receiving from on a high and taking for some spiritual care. Something we all need, indeed, in an on-demand world. But I would love to have had a hidden microphone on that boat as the disciples are pushed off from the shore. A brief window to debrief of all that they had seen. I bet the conversations were different at this stage when Jesus wasn't around. The group dynamic likely changing when their teacher stood in their midst, much as it does at work when the boss is in the room, or the teacher in the classroom, or the parent who can overhear the kids talking. This conversation was probably frank. We see later on Jesus would ask them about what some of them thought was a private conversation. Hey, what was it that you guys were debating amongst yourselves back on the road? It was about who was greatest among them, which Jesus would want to discuss for sure, but points to the fact that they didn't always talk the same way when Jesus wasn't around, or at least they didn't think he was around. And even after that, when doubting Thomas thinks he is having a private conversation, saying, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And eight days later, the resurrected and glorified Jesus comes into the locked room without opening the doors and stands there and says to the group, Peace to you. And then to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas is flabbergasted. Apparently, Jesus had been eavesdropping a week earlier. This is something new for the disciples as they started to figure out this new dynamic of Jesus resurrected leaving Thomas to surrender and say, my Lord and my God. Such a good reminder to us as well. The Lord is present and the Lord hears. Everywhere, all the time. A comfort to us to call upon him when he is near. And to all who call upon him in truth to understand, even when we can't see him, he is present. But a challenge to us not to speak an idle word, for we are all accountable to him. So the boat is headed across the lake. The stories and the discussion, the debriefing of what went on there with the feeding of the 5,000, it's flowing. And Jesus is up on the mountain watching from a distance. Remember, in chapter 4, there had been a similar scene. But Jesus was in the boat with them that time, asleep in the stern as a terrible storm arose. I wonder if they had any anxiety getting into a boat again, as people often get PTSD or get triggered if they've gone through a trauma. The last time, they legitimately thought that they were going to die in a storm. And then Jesus wiped the sleep from his eyes, yelled at the sea to have peace and be still, and there was a great calm, except for in the hearts of the disciples, who freaked out. They thought they knew Jesus, but now saw that even the wind and the waves obeyed him. Who was this guy, they asked. This time, they're alone. And apparently no one checked the weather report or had notifications turned on for the weather app because severe weather comes up again this time they are alone in the boat, Jesus on the land watching from a distance. Take a look at verses 47-49. through Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the seas, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. If the first incident in the boat in chapter four with Jesus' sleep was the lesson with training wheels, now Jesus gives them a retry, but the stakes were a bit higher. Remember training wheels as you learn to ride a bike, those wobbly things put on temporarily to give you the feeling of balance and stability? Eventually, you were able to head out training wheel free. Jesus was with them in the first storm, just as asleep in the storm while they panicked and feared the worst. But when they had cried out and asked for help, He came through almost immediately. That was some time ago though, and now Jesus is pretty much giving them the same lesson again. This time though, it's a bit harder because he's not right there in the boat, but he's watching from shore. And while they had called out to him when they could jostle him awake just an arm's reach away, will they call out to him when they can't see him right there? Because soon, that will be the reality. When he will die, be buried, resurrect, and then ascend, they will have to get used to a whole new dynamic. An ever-present, all-helping Jesus, who they need to call on by faith, even when they can't see him there. So this retry has a purpose. It's not just that Jesus had run out of ministry training tools to use on them. He's giving them this learning scenario again, with a slight change. He's watching from the hill. It's Surviving the Storm 101, Version 2.0, or maybe Surviving the Storm 102. The Lord will often repeat lessons until we get them. But he'll also repeat lessons because we get them. But up the challenge a bit so that we might grow, our faith might grow, and our understanding of him might grow a little bit too. But for that growth to occur, it can't just be a repeat. It needs to get a bit tougher. Like going to the gym, if you use the same weight over and over and don't increase it, or go through the same exercises in the same order and intensity without varying anything, there is no growth that is going to occur. Aaron and I were talking about the 1980s video game Pac-Man recently. This was pre-Nintendo, pre-PlayStation, or gaming was really a thing, so you couldn't play for hours in your room. You were limited by the number of quarters you had and how long your parents might let you be in the arcade or at the machine while they were shopping or doing something else for a bit in some public place. But Pac-Man, he would eat these pellets, waka, walk, waka, walk 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 as he go through, trying to avoid the ghosts. Then he'd eat these power pellets that were in the corners of the screen. Now supercharged, he could chomp the ghosts until the power bonus ran out. But each level had a piece of fruit for extra points, and the fruit moved through. Around the maze, and you try to get the fruit too for some bonuses. I think on level one, the fruit was a pair of cherries, and on level two, there was a strawberry, I think. And it went on each level. I think a banana, an orange, a peach, a watermelon. I can't remember exactly. And I wasn't that good, so I didn't see many fruits beyond the level one cherry, the level two strawberry. But with each level, not only did the bonus fruit change, so did the speed. Everything moved faster. You moved faster as Pac-Man. The ghosts moved faster. The power play window clicked by faster. Each level got tougher that way. So to get very far, level one had to be a piece of cake because you went through it enough times to be able to succeed there. These disciples had weathered the storm with Jesus in the boat. It was level one. He had been right there. Now level two in the storm, Jesus physically not in the boat. But had their faith grown to cry out to Jesus anyway? Because that's where things are headed. Soon Jesus will not be there, at least not as he had been. And they needed to work their way up to that, to crying out to him in faith. You might have some regular retries on lessons from the Lord. Some familiar lessons or tests, trials or circumstances that he seems to take you through. You may not know why that is the unit or module that you're in. You may not get why that is what he has chosen for you. But you see and you do recognize a pattern. And sometimes sigh, here we go again. It might be the same as you go for another round, but usually something is different. God has changed something in the equation. And that can often be a good thing to try and identify, to try and spot, to narrow down, to reflect upon. Because it might be something the Lord is wanting us to grasp and the reason that we're going on to the next level with the lesson. Maybe he has tested you to trust him with finances. And on level one, it was trusting him to pay a certain bill or the rent or a debt. And though it seemed big at the time, it's not quite as big as what you are needing to trust him to provide for now. As a single missionary, I had money for six months when I went out. And God faithfully provided beyond that. And my six months turned to 14 years. But the amounts I needed at the beginning, though they stretched me, looking back were nothing. Things were cheaper back then. Rent was cheaper. My needs were cheaper. And over time, things got more expensive, rent went up, ministry needs required more resources, and even add a wife into the picture. There was more to trust God for. And he came through. What is different for you on level two, or level three, or four or five, or 65? When David faced the mighty Goliath, he was able to realize something. David said to Saul, as young David was getting ready to walk out toward Goliath, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Now listen, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. This was David's level three or level four or whatever level, and things were a bit tougher at this level. But the faithfulness of God on the previous levels would be the springboard for David to move forward on this level. He could look back and identify and say, God helped me in that, God will help me in this. Maybe when God was teaching you something in the past, though things seemed big and intense then, you look back and see it seems a little bit easier or more basic compared to what you're facing now. But take it from David. He was able to look back at what God had done and recognize the Lord gave victory in that and use it for this retry and go at it with faith, believing that God who came through for him in that and has what it takes to come through now. Back to the boat of disciples. As they go about this old lesson with new factors, how are they faring? Take a look again, verses 48 through the first part of verse 50. Then he, Jesus, saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the seas, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. This goes on for a while. They are rowing, straining, it says, the wind against them, trying their best to follow through with what Jesus had told them, to get to the other side, but making no progress as as they strain against the wind. And we read that it goes on like this until the fourth watch of the night. The Roman military guard divided the night up into four watches. Different soldiers would take shifts, keeping watch. The fourth watch was the last one, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And Mark is written primarily for a Gentile audience, so they would would have gotten this. The fourth watch, wow, Jesus made them wait a while. They've been rowing for some time. Remember, they tried to send the crowds away for the day was far spent. The previous afternoon going into evening. Then finally, after everyone is commanded to sit in groups of 100s and 50s, they feed them all distributing the miraculous bread and fish that Jesus gave them, then picking up of the leftovers. So I'm not exactly sure when they got into the boat, but whenever it was, it's now sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And Jesus has been watching and praying the whole time. The priests were tasked with interceding for the people, the go-between between God and man. And part of that was interceding to seek God's mercies on their behalf, on behalf of the people. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the perfect high priest. Many reasons for this, but one he points out in Hebrews 7, and there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus was not neglecting them out there as they struggled in this storm. Jesus was praying all night. I imagine part of that involved interceding for them, asking God to give the disciples wisdom, to strengthen them, to grow them, to stretch them, to refine them, to mature them, to purify them, to grow them, even to protect them in this storm. How blessed to know that when we're straining and struggling, Jesus is not ignoring us. As our great high priest, eternal and unchanging, He makes intercession for us before the Father. So part of the reason this may go on for as long as it does is because the Father is working on the disciples in this situation. But perhaps it's also because the disciples have yet to call to Jesus. On this level too, the difference was Jesus was not there in the boat. I think they were to learn that they could call out to him even when he was not physically there. So are they still straining at 3 a.m. because they have not called out? Is the wind still boisterous because they are trying to get out of that situation on their own? And by 3 a.m., they still have not cried out to Jesus to help them, to save them, to guide them. Because from Mark's account, it seems like he was actually not planning to walk out to them in the boat and hitch a ride the rest of the way. It tells us that Jesus is planning to pass them by, to meet them on the other side. Listen. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the seas and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. He would have passed them by. And they are mistaken. They think it's a ghost, an apparition, something weird going on during this storm at 3 a.m. In their heightened anxiety of the situation, they come to the wrong conclusion, a phantom, a ghost. And, of course, they have not seen anyone walk on water, Jesus included. So it must be a ghost, it can't be Jesus, right? But when they cry out, perhaps out of fear, or maybe even finally crying out to Jesus, remember they had seen Jesus have power over evil spirits. He even imparted that power to them when they were on their missions trip. Were they finally calling out to Jesus at 3 a.m. when they think they see a ghost? Oh Lord, if you can hear us somewhere out there, wherever you are, help us, get us out of here and protect us from this ghost. What if they had called out to Jesus a few hours prior? just a cry of faith from the boat. Lord Jesus, wherever you are, help us. Help us through the storm. If they had done that in the first watch, or the second watch, or the third watch, could they have shortened their time in this trial? When God takes us through lessons, teaching us things that he wants us to learn, I think we might be able to speed things up by being a willing student sooner rather than later. I think we'd be wise to not shy away from lessons by avoiding them or by not pressing into the Lord, but sort of dragging our feet Can the lessons go on longer? What if we could speed it up by facing the lessons, embracing them even, and posturing ourselves in a way to say to the Lord, All right, Lord, game on. I'm not thrilled to be going back into this lesson again. I don't relish the idea of a retry. But if we're going to do this, let's do it. Perhaps Jesus wanted these disciples to cry out sooner. And if they had not cried out here, Mark tells us that Jesus would have passed them by. The storm could have gone on even longer do we at times lengthen our trials by not calling out to the lord straining rowing circumstances contrary paul said to the corinthians and i brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual people but as to carnal as to babes in christ i fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you are not able to receive it and even now you are still not able for you are still carnal and where there are envy strife and divisions among you you are not carnal and behaving like mere men This group had stunted their own growth there in Corinth. Jesus could not move on, or Paul could not move on to the next lessons because they were still struggling with the first lessons. It can be hard to watch people or ourselves go through retries. The same lessons again, especially if it's it's because we failed the last time. And so if we pick up on familiar things, realizing we've been down this path before, haven't we? The wise one asks, Lord, let's do this right this time. Give me my study guide. I want to pass it this time around. Confession. I failed my driver's test the first time. Granted, I tried the first time after having my permit for less than a week, something Hawaii laws allowed for in the early 1990s. But I took it again two weeks later and I did pass. But during that window of two weeks, I looked at my driver's test marks to see what i had failed on the first time. And one of them was yielding to pedestrians because my high school soccer team decided to cross in the cross rock right as I was leaving the pot parking lot. And the second one was the dreaded parallel parking. So for the next two weeks, guess what I did? Well, first, I made sure pedestrians always got the right of way and also that I wasn't driving around the time that the soccer team was crossing the parking lot right by the DMV. But I practiced parallel parking between the two tractor tires that were set out at War Memorial Stadium on Maui for parallel parking and driver's tests. It was my focus, my Goliath. Get the parallel parking right, and you'll get your license. And with the help of my mom and dad and some high-tension parallel parking lessons on my end, not theirs, I passed the test the second time around. I was determined to get it out of the way. Twice was enough. Some of us don't approach the tests and trials God allows the same way. We run on the treadmill like a hamster and find ourselves in similar struggles time and again. Could it be because we never ask God what it is we're supposed to be learning? Or we shy away from learning it, quite quit partway through, take a shortcut, avoid it, or worst of all, never cry out to God for grace and guidance to bring us through it. I read an article about a woman named Cha Hasoon. She was age 69 when the article was published in 2013, and it's estimated she took the driver's test in South Korea where she lived 960 times before finally passing it in 2010 and when the article was published held the world's record for most failed attempts 960 times can you imagine now i think it was the written test that they're talking about but if it was the road test that's a lot of bumping the tractor tiles tires on the parallel parking part of the test you'd think they would have just given her an honorary license at some point some of us though might be on that world record track with the Lord not getting some of the lessons and retrying them again and again. Are we prolonging it? Could we get out of it soon if we just cry out? Are we straining in the fourth watch because we haven't sought him? And is he just about to pass us by one more time because we're stubborn as all get out? And for some of our listeners, maybe life seems like a continual test, like everything is going wrong continually, like your world is continually spitting out of control. You're always in a storm and you've never cried out to Jesus. You're doing everything on your own, using your own resources. You think that it's all up to you and you're starting to realize that you need help, that you can't do this alone. And if there is a God, you need to know him. His name is Jesus, and He loves you, and He came for you, and He was perfect, and He died for you because you are a sinner, and if you place your trust in Him, your sins will be forgiven, and He will not only be your Savior, but you can ask Him to be your Lord, and He will walk you through those trials that you're going in right now. Maybe that's one reason that your life is continually on repeat, going through so many of the same things. But for those of us who do know Him, who are going through tests once again, may Jesus break through for you on this retry so that you can move on. These disciples, their cry to him, even if half-hearted or based on a misconception that it was a ghost, it shifted everything. We see in the second half of verse 50 through 52. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Jesus gets in the boat with them, Be of good cheer, I'm here. And as that happens the wind ceases calm still they had seen this the last time peace be still and a great calm and we are told here that they were greatly amazed beyond measure and oh yeah they marveled too, three times in three ways to say this freaked them out it's like they had seen jesus do so much but never expected this matthew's gospel adds a bit to this scene something we don't get here it's the part where peter walks on water Matthew's account says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him, and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Matthew records it. Mark does not. One reason I think that's so, because Mark wrote this gospel, most believe, from the account of Peter. Peter shared things with Mark, and Mark wrote them down. So did Peter not want that part talked about, either to elevate himself? Ooh, Peter walked on water. Let's make him the pope. Or to hide it from the reader. Hey, Mark, let's, let's put that Let's let that part stay between you and I. It's kind of embarrassing. I almost drowned and all. Why was it in there? In there? Well, not sure exactly. But the Holy Spirit did not want it in there. Just in Mark, just in Matthew. Perhaps because Peter felt that his lesson was not their lesson. This was something that Jesus was teaching him. Perhaps Peter thought, as Peter was learning to trust and grow in his understanding of Jesus. He said, "Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water." eyes locked with Jesus, until they weren't and he started seeking. Maybe Peter felt this was his lesson, and it was unique and specific for him. That's the amazing thing about the Lord. He has unique curriculum for each of us. Lesson plans suited to us, and our learning styles, and our circumstances, and our needs, and our experience, and our strengths, and our weaknesses, all tailored perfectly for us, our own personal tutor. So maybe Peter felt there was no need to pass on his lesson, his retry. Though I personally am blessed that the Holy Spirit used Matthew to fill us in on that part of it, because in this scene, I don't know about you, but I often feel like Peter the most. If it's you, Lord, I'm kind of uncertain in this trial, this test, and this lesson. Command me to come out, Lord. I have some faith, but I'm not sure it's enough. Lord, save me. Sorry, Lord, I thought I was ready, but realize I need you now more than ever. Something many of us can glean from time and time again. Check out what Mark says, wrapping it up before the scene change. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. It's almost as if it is a surprise that these disciples would be amazed at this. The commentary there is, for they had not yet understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Tying this retry in and their response to the miracle prior, the feeding, they had just seen Jesus do the impossible. And right after they get a D- minus on this retry, they had not understood about the loaves. Who Jesus was, what he was capable of, and who they are, and where they are limited, and how much they desperately need him. And why? It wasn't that the lesson was unclear or the presentation muddled. It's because their hearts were hardened. Hard, stony, unmoving, dead hearts. That's a reason God often takes us through a retry. It's because our hearts have not changed since the previous attempt. And God is getting to a root issue that I'm still not getting something deep in my heart. I keep getting through the trial circumstantially, but there has been no transformation of our hearts. So we're back in the fire again, God hoping for our hearts to soften and change this time around. A good but tough question to ponder when we face a retry on a lesson. Lord, what in my heart needs to change this time? The word hardened there, hearts hardened, is a Greek word meaning to cover with a thick skin, to cover with a callus, that thick, hard skin that has lost sensitivity. By metaphor, the word means to make dull or lose the power of understanding. When I think of callus, I think of repetitive use, over and over use, whether the calluses on the fingertips of a seasoned guitar player, from repetitive use pressing down on the metal strings, or the calluses from manual labor, swinging a hammer all the time with those hands or the calluses on those dainty little feet from wearing those high heels to make a fashion statement. Repetitive use leads to calluses, hardened skin. Perhaps the disciples were in a dangerous place. They were repeatedly seeing this mighty working of God, as Jesus taught powerfully and did mighty works, Were their hearts getting hardened from seeing it over and over again. Maybe they walked away from the feeding of the 5,000 with a sort of a, I guess that was a miracle. The miracle is mentioned in all four Gospels. In none of them does it comment on the disciples' reaction. No, and they marveled, or and the disciples couldn't believe it. No response seemed to be noteworthy. In John 6, where it records the miracle, it says, Therefore they, the disciples, gathered them the leftovers up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, Truly this is the prophet who is to come into the world. I think that those men refers to those who had eaten, the 5,000. I think that they are the ones who associated Jesus with the prophet who was to come, the one that Moses mentioned in Deuteronomy 18.15. They marveled, the crowd marveled, but no account of the disciples expressing much in light of it. But in the boat immediately after and after seeing Jesus walk on water, three times in one verse verse 51 and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled it was a home run they responded but their hearts were hardened and they didn't see what jesus had just done with the bread it's a reason sometimes god has to take us back for level two to put us back in training because we've gotten so used to things that we begin to miss what god is doing We need to be jolted back a bit. Our calluses ripped off so that we can be sensitive once again, so as not to walk past God and his work with no feeling, no response, no reaction, no praise. And there are times that the repeat is not really to change our heart. Sometimes it's to show us how our heart has changed. God taking us back again through it again so that we can see that we have passed the test. I think we get a glimpse of this in Genesis 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And then the Lord said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This time Abraham passes the test. He does love the Lord more than the blessings that the Lord has given him. What a blessing to go through a similar lesson or trial again and realize that we have grown that the Lord has changed us, that we can handle it much better than the last time. We walk with God through it rather than resist God in it. We may not even realize it in the storm, but on the other side, we might just be able to say thank you and praise him for giving us victory in the storm. An encouragement to God's grace to grow us and transform us since the last Mm go-around. The storm diminishes, and we finish the chapter with this, Mark 6, verses 53 through 56. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched him were made well." When I read that, it sounds like a repeat. It sounds the same. We've almost read that before, haven't we? People see Jesus, people bring them to Jesus, wherever he goes, it repeats. And as many as touch him were made well. What's the reason we see it repeat once again? Well, I think it's a contrast. Those disciples in that lesson, in that retry, in that next level, they hesitated to cry out to Jesus, to come to Jesus, even when they couldn't see him but we turn the page there and right there, the crowds, they know exactly where to go. They run to Jesus, they flock to Jesus. What a simple lesson it is for us in our retry. Whatever it is we're going through, even if it's a different level, if it's up the ante a little bit, the answer, is coming and throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus. That's exactly the answer to whatever it is we're going through right now. Notice too, it's the same schedule and routine as before. It's amazing, yes, but it's familiar. It's definitely the exact same thing. Your life and your circumstances and routines may not change very much. It may feel like the same old, same old. And that in itself can be a lesson, a trial, something that God is teaching. And we cry out for a change, a challenge, something new to keep us on our toes, Lord. And we're like, Lord, more of this, the same again. But God can change you in those same circumstances. While the disciples struggled with the hardened heart, what they had seen and experienced on the water may have been just enough to help them see the same routine through different eyes once they got to the shore. They may have looked at Jesus differently after seeing him walk on the water, and I believe that is the next level many times. The same thing, but with a changed heart. A renewed vision and perspective. The calling, the ministry, the location, the marriage, the routines, God doesn't switch them up but he stirs us up to approach them with renewed faith, passion, and trust, a renewed sense of who he is in the midst of those exact same things. Perhaps you find yourself restless, ready to move on to something else, with a retry seeming to be never-ending. What if the Lord could change us without going anywhere just yet? If he could renew us, revive us, restore us, recall us, I remember a season of wanting to throw in the towel. It seemed like the Lord had not heard and would not hear my recommendations of how to adjust and change all that was going on, still going on like a broken record with no end in sight. And I half-heartedly sighed in prayer. Lord, if nothing changes, just give me the fruit of the Spirit. At least let my heart be right here if nothing else shifts. And there was renewal. There was revival, a renewed sense of calling and purpose, a fresh wind and fresh fire. And though the retries continued and things looked mostly the same, I saw them differently, responded differently, worshiped in the midst of them differently. When it comes to retries, there is no answer sheet that I can share, no cheat sheet I'm allowed to pass on. It's your retry, your retest. No one else really knows the subject matter, but it's tailored for you. For whatever reason, God sees in his sovereignty, and eventually, I pray, you'll pass it all with flying colors indeed. God, give us grace in the lessons you're taking us through this season. While we desire comfort and support and relief, above all, we wanna cry out to you and ask that you'd visit us in it. Holy Spirit, bring to mind the things that we've already learned in previous versions of these things, and give us wisdom to know how we are to step forward this time around. Lord, we thank you that our future secure in you, that you paid the price and eternity for the believer does not rest in us getting it all right all the time. You did that, Lord. You did it right. And we are blessed to call you Master, Savior, Lord, and Christ. Give us grace for just a little more. And may we bring you glory and honor as we faithfully endure. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.